Get Real is recorded on the unceded lands of the Boonarong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We also acknowledge that the first peoples of Australia are the first storytellers, the first artists and the first creators of culture, and we celebrate their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. Welcome to Get Real, talking mental health and disability, brought to you by the team at Irma365. Join our hosts, Emily Webb and Carenza Louis-Smith, as we have frank and fearless conversations with special guests about all things mental health and complexity. We recognise people with lived experience of mental health and disability, as well as their families and carers. We recognise their strengths, courage and unique perspective as a vital contribution to this podcast so we can learn grow and achieve better outcomes together. It's Emily Webb here and I think you're going to be as fascinated as I was with this episode. We hear from Rod Hanafy, who's been driving big trucks for decades. He's driven millions of miles over that time, all across Australia. Rod came to my attention when I was researching wellbeing and the truck driving industry Rod's a well-known advocate in this space. He's currently the president of the National Road Freight Association. He contributes to magazines, radio and online for the industry. And he's a Churchill Fellow, which is a worldwide prestigious fellowship set up in Sir Winston Churchill's name, where people selected travel overseas to conduct research in their chosen field. Rod's focus was heavy vehicle road safety best practice. Rod's made advocating for himself and his fellow truck drivers a hobby, which has become a passion. He's taken part in projects, made submissions to government, and participates in opportunities to educate his profession and the general public on various issues that affect the trucking industry. One of the projects he's been involved in is the Driving Health Project, led by Monash University, and working with industry on evidence-based strategies to improve the health of the Australian truck driver. This three-year research project revealed some serious findings, including that the poor health of male Australian truck drivers could account for more than 6,000 worker deaths and cost $2.6 billion in lost productivity over the next decade. Here's a snippet of a 2022 ABC News segment about the project. Around 30% of drivers in our survey had three more diagnosed health conditions, which is almost four times the average of the Australian population. While most research into truck driving is focused on road safety, a new study funded by industry, the Transport Workers Union and government has taken a different approach, carrying out the largest ever national survey of the overall health of truckies. We believe that a healthy driver is going to be a safe driver. And now what we have is the data to back up perhaps what people in the industry have known for quite some time, that it is really quite difficult for drivers to be healthy and stay healthy at work. There's a lot to driving a truck. It's a tough job. Gruelling hours, pressure, lots and lots of legislation and processes to follow. It's also a job where you're away from your family and on your own a lot. And as you'll hear Rod explain, all these things can lead to serious impacts on health and well-being. 
It's something that truck drivers have always known, long before the topic of mental health and general health for truckies captured any attention beyond their profession. So let's hear from Rod about life on the road and all that comes with being a truckie. I drove my first road train when I was 16. I went for my licence at age of 17 in a semi-trailer, so I never had a car licence or a truck licence. You can't do it now with our graduated system. I, I left school when I was 15, started working for a bloke in a transport company, ended up in Western Queensland doing a couple of trips with him. Then when I turned 17, I went and got my semi-trailer licence and I, I did then work in a container park for many years, but now I've probably been doing interstate line haul, starting in fuel tankers with what was then Finnamores, which was then bought out by Toll, uh, and that was carting uh, fuel up and down the eastern seaboard. And I've probably been doing full-time interstate now for 30 years or more. I live in Dubbo and, and mainly travel Melbourne-Brisbane, but uh, in the last six months I've been everywhere from Perth to Darwin, Pretty regularly get to central Queensland probably once a month, Mount Isa once every three or four months, per sort of each year, I suppose. And, yeah, pretty much cover two-thirds of Australia, but regularly Brisbane, Melbourne. I normally leave home on a Sunday and get home on Saturday. Occasionally you get home on a Friday, public holidays, and that, of course, a little bit different, although we still work many of those. But my, my general week is leave home Sunday and do a leg to Melbourne and back to Dubbo, but then I'm unloading, reloading, or going through Dubbo, not not to stay, but passing through, and then go to Brisbane, the sort of next end. So I normally do that full round trip, Melbourne, Brisbane, in a week, starting out at Dubbo and finishing back in Dubbo. We do a lot of stuff to Western New South Wales, to farms, to different places, and it's definitely not every week I go here and go there and come back. It varies each week, just depends on how much it varies. I suppose many years ago it was over-romanticised. You were the king of the road, you were your own boss, you know, you're out on the road and your time was your own and, of course, nothing is further from the truth. You have customers that don't appreciate the value of your time at all. You have a boss that you work for, I'm an employed driver. You have the road authorities that want you to do it their way. You have the public that don't recognise what you do and what you deliver for them. And then whilst we now have what's called chain of responsibility legislation, which was meant to take some of the blame off the driver if he was pushed by someone, and we all know you've got somewhere at four o'clock and they've said, yeah, mate, yeah, we'll be with you soon. And at five o'clock you say, what's going on? Oh, well, the forky kicked his toe or we're just a bit busy. We'll get to you soon. And at six o'clock you're starting to get pretty toey and you say, mate, what's going on? You know, I've been here two hours. I, I arrived on time. Oh, yeah, we won't be long, mate. And they start you loading at 7 and then you get out of there at 8.30 and then they say, oh, by the way, you'll still be there in the morning, won't you? And you say, well, no, mate, sorry, I won't because I was here when you booked me. You've sat me here for four hours and by all means, you know, feel free to pay me for it. Good luck with that. But I have to operate legally. 
it's not just you get in, you steer the truck and you get out. Like I'm responsible for loading it. I'm responsible for making sure it's compliant. I'm responsible to manage my hours. I'm responsible to do the logbook so that I don't make a mistake and get a fine for something that has nothing whatsoever to do with road safety. I've got all these people that I've got to make happy. Then I've got to do all that legally to be compliant. And then you look at how it affects your life. So how do you survive and do all that? And how do you have a family? And and it's so hard to get good food on the road. I honestly think people don't recognise us for what we do. Years ago, you might have seen the freight on the truck and you saw the load of cornflakes or you saw the bags of flour. Now it's all sort of hidden on tort liners or under tarps. And where I think somewhere years ago, particularly people outside of cities recognised truck drivers more because they rely on them and they deal with them and they see them on the road. Whereas in the cities, you're a hindrance. You know, they've got to get past you or you're holding them up and they don't recognise that without trucks, you don't have any food, you don't have any fuel, don't have any clothes, you don't have any manufacturing. Years ago, particularly if you're an owner-driver, you worked 100 or 120 hours a week to survive. Now, that meant that you had to load 20 tonne of spuds by hand, drive all night, and then deliver 20 tonne of spuds by hand the next day. So you had to be bloody fit and you had to eat to be able to survive and do the job. Now, mechanics, forklifts, containerization, all of those things have done something to contribute to remove some of that physicality. Now, you know, I pull the curtains open and I strap the load, but I don't load it all by hand. It's not the whole load of cartons. What's changed is that back then you had to eat to survive and and be able to do the job. Now, some blokes still eat that way, and that's why some of them are overweight. Yes, the issue was then staying awake when you were doing that number of hours. Now, the industry has changed. And if you look at our accident rates, it's dropped even more than that of car drivers. And we know that with cars, there was the silver bullet of seatbelts. You know, that saved a lot of lives. There was the silver bullet of random breath testing that took some of the people off the road who were driving when affected by alcohol. And yes, each of those has had an effect in us. The seatbelts were a bit of a concern because initially they tied you to the seat. The truck didn't have the protection of vehicles now that they do with airbags and all that thing. We, we sort of lagged behind a little bit there. But you still have to be able to stay fit to do the hours. And then you look at not mental health side, but the mental requirement to be alert. And I don't mean simply being awake. I I honestly believe we are not recognised for the lives that we save. We're certainly blamed when something goes wrong and there's, there's a car and truck accident. It's a truck accident. We're guilty by default in the media. But we drive thinking that that car in front is weaving and I wonder what he's doing and I'll back off a little bit. Or we drive thinking I can see that car sitting up there and I reckon he's going to pull straight out in front of me because he thinks that I'm going to stop for him. And we do that every single second of every minute of every hour we're on the road. We recognise we are in a large vehicle. We're responsible for it. 
as I say, three quarters of a million dollars worth of truck and trailer is, is, is what I drive out onto the highway and, and I could put a million dollars worth of load on that. How many other people are responsible for that? Now, years ago, yes, there was a problem with drugs and, and blokes took drugs to stay awake. There are still people in our community who take drugs, not just truck drivers, and there are some people who are truck drivers that take drugs. They don't take drugs to be a truck driver. It's, it's they do it in, in their own time. And look, that, that's up to them, what they do as long as they're safe on the road. But so many of the laws that we operate under put a requirement onto you, you will sleep now. Now, if I'm tired and I've got decent shade and I've got a good rest area and I've got facility to pull up there and go to bed, well, then I can go to sleep. But I can't go to sleep because my logbook says you must stop now when I'm in the middle of nowhere in 50-degree temperatures with no water, no food, and no decent place to sleep. When I first got into driving line haul, like I, I certainly was aware of trucks and I'd been involved with them from a young age. But once you get out on the highway, I had people making comments, particularly at one stage of our caravanners. You know, they don't understand trucks. Well, I thought, who teaches them? And then you, you look at motorists doing silly things and, you know, everybody's aware of having a dash cam now. Now, the first dash cam was actually designed and implemented by a truck driver because he kept saying to people, oh, yeah, this motorist did that. No, no one would be that silly. Well, yes, they are. And, and we want you not to be silly. We want to survive. We want to get home to our family. And he instituted that system to show how some people make mistakes and, and because they're not taught to share the road with trucks. So the thing was, once I got involved with that, and look, you, you've got a lot of time out there on your own, and you can either sit there and go, oh, woe is me, you know, I've missed my daughter's birthday, or I've missed my son's graduation, or I should have been at home, or the family's got a drama and I'm a thousand kilometres away going the other way, or you can find something else to do. And, and that's what got me involved. I, I started ringing about roads and getting roads repaired. I started complaining about rest areas. I did audit trips on highways where things that, that I believed affected my safety weren't considered, weren't perhaps even on the radar of your average car driver or the, the bloke from the council that drives up and down there. He doesn't drive a B-double. He doesn't understand what it's like to need a decent rest area for sleep. So it's become virtually a hobby and a passion. And occasionally I get accused of having two jobs and I only get paid for one. So, and, and then I've become involved with the magazines and radio and all that sort of stuff. And it's simply to try and put the value into the time that you have there and to do something that, that helps other truck drivers because, look, geez, a lot of them are cynical and they're very frustrated. For 20 years, we've asked for better roads and better rest areas and education of the public about sharing the road with trucks so we don't have to make those decisions every second and virtually drive for them as well. When I first started doing this, I said, the worst possible thing that can happen is nothing changes, nobody listens, and I waste my time and my breath and my money and nothing changes. But if I save one life because I got a rest area built or I got one improved or I took away a pothole that might have caused the car to run into a truck or I get one car driver to understand what it's like to drive a truck and to be a little bit more aware and a bit of empathy and a bit of understanding, then to me, everything after that's a bonus. And that's been my motto from the start and it still is. 
years ago, the industry was was sort of a brotherhood. It was, you know, you were mates on the road, even though you might only see that bloke once a week. You might only wave to him once a week when you passed him, but you knew his truck or you knew where he ran. Many drivers say that that camaraderie and that mateship has disappeared. It is the pressures on the industry. You've, you've got to be happy with your own company. You spend a lot of it alone, and, and so many drivers have lost, if not one family, more than one because they're simply never there. You listen to John Williamson's song called The Truckie's Wife, and he says you come home like an uncle bringing ice cream and toys because that's it. You visit, you have your sleep, you go back to work. And now with mobile phones, I suppose in some ways that's taken away where we used to have that camaraderie on the UHF radio or back on the CB it was in those days, UHF rules now. But the phones meant that you can bring your family and talk to them. But it's not the same as being there. It puts enormous pressure on you. I was talking to a bloke the other day that said he's been off the road for 10 years and he still carries the guilt of all that time that that he was away and he didn't have with his family. And look, it's one thing where I had a job where I was earning enough that, that my wife didn't have to work. And we have seven children. So she's done an incredible job. And for people to put up with someone to be away that much. The trouble is they get used to you being away. So when you come home, you virtually disrupt their timetable and, you know, well, I'm going to do this. Yeah, but I, you know, I I wanted to see you and let's go out. Well, no, I can't. I've got the kids. How many people want to live in a truck that is their workplace? It's their kitchen. It's their lounge room. It's their bedroom. Most of the time, you're trying to find somewhere to park it to get a good sleep or to get a good feed or to get a shower or find a toilet. I just come back from Darwin, and except for the truck stops, most of the truck rest areas don't have toilets. You're going to go out and dig a hole in the scrub. All the caravan ones have got it, and yet most of them have got toilets and showers. There are very few women in this industry. That's another reason why the facilities aren't there for us, so how are they going to cope? And, and then it's the pressure on your lifestyle and your family. And people think that you, you earn really good money and you earn good money if you work 40 hours a week. But I spend five or six days living in that truck on the highway, trying to find somewhere to sleep and eat, deal with customers, deal with people in cars that try and kill me each day because they don't know any better. And then I get to visit the family for 24 hours if I'm lucky and go back and do it all again. The pressures on others, you know, some have not survived. Some have got to that point. And look, there are blokes now that live virtually on their own in the truck. That is their whole life because they couldn't maintain their family and they've lost their kids because they were never there for them. And it's one thing some people can just walk away from that and others, as I say, carry that guilt for the rest of their lives. But they did a job to feed their family. When you worked 120 hours a week, you've made good money. But you, your, your body pays for it, your mind pays for it, your family pays for it. And now that we can't work those hours, and those hours were ridiculous, we, we should never have been doing that then, and we can't now because of the laws and the penalties, but the wages have not gone up. All of my kids spent time with me in the truck when they were little, and I can tell you some, some interesting stories about that. I think they recognise now, and, and look, I was awarded a, a road safety award by the Dubbo City Council a couple of years ago 
and five of my children, all five that lived in Dubbo at the time, went and accepted the award on my behalf. Yeah, that brought a tear to my eye. And yet, because they're sort of second tier, whereas your wife, well, why are you doing this job? Why don't you get another job? Why are you never home? Why do you ring up today and say you'll be home and then you ring up and say you won't be home for another four days? And, and, and look, my kids knew. Where, where are you going to be next Tuesday, Dad? Oh, I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow, let alone next Tuesday. Fair go. Like, you know, ring me on Monday and I'll have a bit of an idea, but it, it's worked both ways. Once in a blue moon, I've been home in the middle of the day and gone to something at their school and been the only dad there, but that is far the exception than the rule. And the rest of it, it's oh, uh, ring up to wish you happy birthday or ring up to wish you happy new year or Look, I've been pretty lucky to be home nearly every Christmas bar one, and, and the Christmas that Santa beat me home, I'd driven four days straight from Perth to get to Melbourne and then get back to Dubbo and be here at nine o'clock. It was the only time Santa beat me home, but I said to my kids, I've just driven from one side of the country to the other. I'm sorry that I'm late, but there was nothing I could do about it. I remember driving through the roundabout at Gundawindi probably 15 years ago, so I'd been on the road 10 or 15 years even then, and there was discussion about mental health and truck driving. And I thought, Jesus, I've been on the road a fair while. It's the first time I've ever heard it raised on radio, first time I've ever heard anyone discuss it outside of the industry. And you might have one mate that you can open up and talk to, but generally they're, they're few and far between, those friends. A lot of the things on the road, unless you run the same bloke, you know, with the same leg, with the same fella every night, you see someone once a week for a feed or you pass them and wave to them. With mobiles, I had a mate that I used to talk to and I think our longest conversation went for three and a half hours and we discussed the meaning of life and family and how to solve the world's problems. But it's one thing talking about it, it gets it off your chest, but it doesn't actually fix anything. And of course, when you get home, you've still got all those family things that you haven't done, haven't been there and problems that you can't solve because you're on the road. It was always there. There were those that haven't coped. It's now recognised. The concern I have at the moment is that all of a sudden it's been recognised and there's a lot of people doing a lot of things. I really wonder how much of that actually helps the bloke on the road. And that's part of the problem with the industry. We are so diverse. There's, there's all these different sectors. There's heavy haulage, there's overnight, there's livestock, there's grain, there's local work, there's general cargo. There's so many different sectors. And for us to go to a meeting to, to discuss it, well, the meeting's in Brisbane, but I'm in Sydney, or the meeting's in Sydney or I'm in Melbourne, or the, the meeting's on a Wednesday and I'm halfway to Perth. To get to those things, people don't recognise what it costs us. It's not like you have half a day off work because you can drive downtown and go to a meeting. I'm, I'm, that meeting's two cities away. Yes, we have Zoom now, and yes, with COVID, suddenly people recognise that without us, they didn't have any food or toilet paper, but geez, they forgot that very quickly afterwards. There was so many people say, what a good job you did, but we were treated absolutely abysmally during COVID. Blokes having tests every two days, blokes with bleeding noses because they were forced to have tests every two days. I sat twice at a border because I had a test and the results hadn't come back. Filling out forms, I left Dubbo one day to go to Melbourne. The law changed before I even got to the border. Blokes held up at the border for four hours when they instituted changes. And, and then not being allowed to use a toilet. 
No, you can't use our toilet. Well, what do you want me to do, mate? Not my problem. Go somewhere else. Well, you know, we're happy to wipe this toilet with sanitizer. You supply- no, no, you just can't use our toilets. Go somewhere else. Well, it's all well and good for people to say that. How the hell do you do that? Look, with, with a couple of minor exceptions, our industry did an incredible job. I don't believe we were truly recognised. Some said we were. We were treated lousily. And when they turned around and closed the truck stops, so you couldn't get a shower, you couldn't use a toilet, you couldn't sit down and have a meal to get out of the truck to have a break, we, we were treated terribly. You know, there are people who lost everything, and, and, and I really feel for those people. But as a group, for the blokes that kept going and kept delivering for Australia, and all of a sudden, two weeks after, we're forgotten and get that bloody truck out of me way, you hold me up, or you know, let's issue you with another fine. One of our drivers was at a site in Western Australia. It's an unmanned site. He drove in. He was the only person on site. Gets out of the truck without his mask on. Police drive in and gave him a $1,000 fine for not having a mask on. But we were treated abysmally and we weren't recognised except when people ran out of toilet paper and then as soon as it was back in the shelf, they forgot about us yet again. If you don't look after yourself, then you can't put in the hours. Then you get tired, and when you get tired, that's no good for you or anybody else. If you can't do the job, then they'll get someone else to do it for you. So it's not simply about being healthy, and there is a difference between surviving and being healthy. I recognise that. Getting good food. Like, you know, the average person, no matter where they work, can walk down the, the hallway and go to the toilet. They can walk down and out the front of the building and go to the shop around the corner or whatever it is. And years ago, you, you looked for trucks on the highway. That was where you got good food. Well, fast foods killed that, all those little truck stops that looked after us and gave us really good meals and made sure that we ate as healthily as we could, considering those hours that we worked, like I said before. They've all disappeared. Now you can't get a park within Cooey to go to a supermarket. Like I run Brisbane, Melbourne, there's two supermarkets I can access in a B-double. Then you add the mental part. If you can't survive your own time 100 hours a week, and we're not talking about working those hours, it's about being in the truck all that time on your own and no access except by phone or saying hello when you get fuel at a truck stop or hello when you go to load and unload, you've got to be able to survive that. I listen to a lot of audio books. That, that's one of the things I do in my spare time on the road. If I'm not ringing up and annoying someone about a pothole or a rest area or something like that, I'm trying to find something to put value into my time. And, and my recreation is then audio books. Plus, I, I write for Owner Driver. I've done that for 22 years now, I think. And, and I do spots on radio. I've done that for a number of years. And that hopefully both helps other drivers or gets information from them that I can use to help them. Uh, that's the intent of those things. And then I'm now the president of the National Road Freighters Association and an ambassador for health in gear and a few other bits and pieces as well. Look, I have people actually say to me, how do you do that? How do you manage to find the time? Because doing the job full time is hard enough as it is. But you sit there and think, how can I use this time of value and maybe make something safer to help someone else? I actually have a Facebook page called Audiobooks for the Road. So whatever I read, I sort of review each week. 
did a Churchill Fellowship uh, on trucks and road safety overseas. I think I was the first truck driver to do a Churchill Fellowship, and I started a blog for that. So I do a weekly blog as well. I applied, and, and the intent is that you've done as much as you can here, and what you might learn from overseas would help you do something better when you return to Australia. And so I looked at uh, trucks and, and road safety overseas. I went to England, where they don't have B-doubles, and you know, all congested and they're all small. I went to Canada as the home of the B-double. We stole that idea from Canada, and now it's the mainstay of our transport task in Australia. And then I went to America, which is sort of the closest to our industry in many ways. Yeah, I wrote a 55, 60-page report when I came back, interviewed a lot of drivers over there. And look, in, in some ways, I, I'm disappointed that it didn't do more with it. But as far as I'm aware, I'm, I'm the only truck driver that, that's ever won one. I won it in 2016, but I couldn't go then, and we deferred it, and I went in 2018. I actually use reading now as my trigger. So in the truck, it's hard at times when every day is different. Now, there are blokes that do exactly the same trip every day. They jump in the truck in Sydney, they drive to Tarkata, they turn around and drive back, and that's all they do all the time. So they know what they're doing and where they're going and all that. Realistically, I know that probably next week, I'll, you know, if I'm at work, I'll be going to Brisbane or Melbourne. But I've gone to work and, and gone to Brisbane and then said, oh, by the way, you're going to Mount Isa tomorrow with the triple road train. And then because the hours vary so much, I wasn't struggling with sleep. But what I do now is I listen to audio books on the road, but then I read at night when I get into bed. That's my trigger. That's the one thing that says, ah, it's time for bed and you've got to go to sleep. Now, you know, I might read 10 pages or I might virtually turn the first page and, oh, geez, I'm bugging now, I'm going to bed. How many jobs does someone give you three quarters of a million dollars worth of truck and trailers and perhaps, you know, half a million dollars or more worth of freight and then say, go and play in the traffic and do it all safely and do it all legally and don't get tired and make everybody happy. It's so multifaceted. And it was said many years ago that Australia used to ride on the back of a sheep. Well, now Australia rides on the back of a prime mover and it has done for many years. You've been listening to Get Real, talking mental health and disability, brought to you by the team at Irma 365. Get Real is produced and presented by Emily Webb with Carenza Louis-Smith and special guest. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. If you've been affected by anything discussed in this podcast, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14 or go to lifeline.org.au. We'd love you to share Get Real with your family and friends. You can also rate and review Get Real on your preferred podcast listening player. Your reviews help people find us. 